Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. I want to take just a few moments and we're going to pray just a little bit. <clears throat> Many of you remember uh, you remember Will Ford and Matt Lockett coming here. And uh, so there was an amazing event that took place last week, one race. Will Ford and Matt Lockett were there. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, but they also publicly released their book, The Dream King, on the anniversary of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, I Have a Dream speech. And so that's, that, that's amazing. Um, but <clears throat> so one of the things that, that Matt is doing is Matt is the director of the Justice House of Prayer in Washington, D.C., which is right across the street from the Supreme Courthouse. And so this week is one of the biggest moments in J-Hop's existence because there um, there are hearings starting on the 4th for the confirmation of another conservative judge that would help us move closer to ending the whole Roe v. Wade abortion thing. So I want us to just take a moment, and I just want us to pray for our politicians. Here, here's what here's what we have to understand. You know, we get caught up, and if if you, my goodness, if 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 you watch Facebook to get your news, I mean, it's just like word vomit. Y'all know what word vomit is? That's that's what that is, and it doesn't matter whether or not you agree with the political administration that's going on. You have a responsibility to pray for them. You know what my catchphrase is. If we have Bible on it, we have to do it, right? And so we have Bible that we're supposed to pray for our leaders. And, you know, there are all kinds of things with the previous administration, this administration that I don't agree with, but I have a responsibility to pray for them. And this is a big deal. This is an opportunity for us to remove a curse from our nation. Do you understand that the Bible tells us that the shedding of innocent blood brings curses on our nation. Do you, you understand that that is that that's truth? And and so um, this is an opportunity for us to link arms in intercession and and pray. So let's just take some let's just take some time right now. Just just pray the way you want. I'm going to pray and uh, and and I really want us to just focus praying for our political leaders, praying that that God would give us leaders that would uphold His truth and His standard. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for an opportunity to affect things through prayer. We thank you, God, that you have given us the ability to go into the place of prayer and intercession. Come on, just lift your voice. Don't don't just let me do it. Come on, lift your voice. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the ability to go into the courts of intercession and to make declaration, to make legislation in the kingdom, God, of your plan and your will. We're honored to stand in this day. We're honored to stand. So, God, we pray right now for our leaders. We pray for our political leaders who have to make decisions, who have to make difficult decisions. And we just ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would overshadow them. (coughs) God, we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit would release dreams and visions to our leaders, to our congressmen, to our senators. God, I'm asking for righteousness to reign in the Supreme Court of the United States once again. I'm asking for righteousness to reign in the Supreme Court of the United States. God, I'm asking for righteousness to reign from the top down. We pray for our president. God, we pray for both sides of the aisle that they would hear 
the voice of Holy Spirit wooing them to his presence. God, we're asking you for revival in America. We say we repent of our sins. Send revival to America and end abortion in America. We're asking God, we're asking for Supreme Court justices that would have your heart to end the tragedy that is abortion. God, we're asking right now for the power of the Holy Spirit to reign in Washington, D.C. this week. God, I pray for strength for Matt Lockett and the team at J-Hop this week, God, as they are watchmen on the wall. Lord, we're asking that you would give them strength, that you would lift up their arms, that you would give their voices power. Lord, that you would bless them in intercession. We trust you today. We trust you and we say we cannot sit idle and miss what it is you're doing. God, I'm asking for a release of Jeremiah 33. God, I'm asking for the bride to get their voice back in Jesus' name, that you would release a sound that comes from your bride declaring the word of the Lord. We love you, Jesus. We honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Come on, just keep praying. I feel like we ought to stay here just a, just a moment. Come on, just lift your voice. We, we repent, God. We, we stand in behalf of your bride, and we repent for the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. God, we repent for the shedding of innocent blood in our nation. And so we're asking you, we're asking specifically that Roe v. Wade would be overturned, God. We're asking for Supreme Court justices that would overturn, Lord, that thing that causes a curse on our nation. And so we just trust you. We love you and we bless you. We bless you, Jesus. You're faithful. You're good. You're good. You're good. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. So good. So good. I just encourage you guys to continue to pray throughout this week as you think about that. Wow. Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah. Ah, oh, it's good. It's good. That feels good. That feels good. Yeah. All right, let's jump into Nehemiah. Let's jump into Nehemiah. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter number four. Hopefully, uh, you guys have been reading that throughout the week and uh, seeing some really cool things. 
in Nehemiah. I've got lots of stuff, so we'll see what we get through, but we're going to be here for a few weeks, so I promise not to give it all to you today. Maybe. Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to, I'm, I'm going to read a lot of Bible today. I'm going to read about 18 verses, um, but I really want to just kind of set the context for where we're going. Um, in, in, in the coming weeks, I really want to spend some time explaining the building of the wall and the different gates um, and what they mean to us um, and, and what I think the Lord is saying in this moment for us prophetically. Um, and, and so today... We're just going to uh, kind of jump in to the middle of the building, what, what's happening and what Nehemiah is facing, okay? And I want you to see his response. I want you to think about this from the idea that Nehemiah, he is in this position because he tended to the king well. He tended to the king well. And we understand that there are types and shadows, and so... Um, I, I want you to realize that the thing we have set our heart to do at Awakening is to tend the king well, to be a priest before the king. And, and so um, I, I want to get into to some of that today and just, just look at the mindset of Nehemiah and what he had to deal with and what we have to deal with. There, there are some really, really cool parallels into kingdom family that I want to talk about and, and pull out of this story because this is where the Lord has us. I want to say from the outset, and I think I said this at the beginning of the year when we really started talking about being rooted at home. When we talk about kingdom family, we are in no way talking about it as if we have it figured out. Can I say that? In, in, in no way are we saying, hey, we've got this all together. But it's what we see as a pattern in Scripture that we are to go after, and so we're learning together. Is that good? All right, so I, I want you to listen with, with, with good ears today, and then I, I want you to also um, if, if, um, just get involved in today. This is, I'm, I'm excited. Okay, Nehemiah chapter 4. <clears throat> Sanballat was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. Isn't that just like the enemy? Saying in front of his friends in the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. I love this. Then I prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May the scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Nehemiah, he don't, he don't even care. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. I, listen, you got to love the Old Testament, right? I, I mean, they're not under the new covenant of Jesus, and Paul hadn't talked to him about grace, and Jesus hasn't talked to him about love your enemies and all that stuff. And so he's like, listen, don't even forgive their sins. Just, just go ahead and, and take them out. Just go ahead and take them out. That's what Nehemiah is praying. 
Uh, verse 6, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that all the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again. You got those people in your life? that just come and tell you again and again and again and again. You're like, I heard you the first 14 times. Y'all got those people? No? Okay. Pray for me then. <laughs> they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. I love this. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. We could just shorten that and say fight for your family. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side, and the trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Some really good stuff in here that, that, that I just want to talk about for a few moments. Nehemiah was one of the best leaders other than Jesus that you'll find in the Bible. Here, here's why. He took common people and united them in mission, vision, and purpose and pulled off one of the greatest feats in the Bible. It's literally one of the greatest things that, that could have ever been done. And one of the things that's so amazing about this story to me is that God took ordinary men and women who were united in one purpose to rebuild a wall in 52 days that previous generations had been working on for 70 years. I, I, I would encourage you sometime to go back and study uh, the, the, the narrative in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. When God is having a council meeting in heaven and he begins to talk and says, because they speak one language, they can accomplish anything. So he had to frustrate the language, but here's why. He didn't frustrate the language because simply because they could accomplish anything, but because the motive of what they were doing was so off base. They were trying to build access to heaven without going through the proper channels. And so he said, I'm going to frustrate their language so that they will not understand each other. But 
the narrative is such that it lets us know that if they're speaking one language in unity, they can accomplish anything. He then says later in Zephaniah that he would restore a pure language. I've talked about that a little bit, but he's really referencing the power of the Holy Spirit that came Acts chapter 2, and they all begin to speak with other tongues. And you see in Acts chapter 2 that there are people from every nation hearing their own language once again. And, and so he, he, he does that. And so what I want you to understand is that God is really into people being united in, in language and motive. And when, when they do that, he steps in and does things that they have no ability to do. Listen, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He poured the king's wine. He wasn't a great prophet. He, he didn't raise people from the dead. He, he didn't get caught up in chariots of fire. He, he didn't do any of that stuff. He was a cupbearer. And God said, because you've tended the king well, I'm going to give you what you're asking for, and then I'm going to have the king pay for it. That, that's really, really good. I, I love that part. And so what I want you to understand is that, that he, these are ordinary men and women. If you go back even to Ezra, who, who began the rebuilding of the temple, Ezra was a scribe. He was a scribe and a priest, but he wasn't even the priest that was offering the sacrifice. He was a scribe. He was writing down what happened. And so God likes to use ordinary men and women. Do you understand what a ragtag group of disciples Jesus had? Seriously. I mean, you have Matthew who was a tax collector. Nobody liked them. We still don't like tax collectors today, do we, if we just be real honest? Matthew was a tax collector. Peter, he was a hoodlum. I'm, seriously, can you imagine cussing Peter, ear cutting off Peter? I, I, I mean, he just, Peter, he was a knucklehead. Now, the, the one that saved him is, is my favorite, of course. That's John, John the Beloved. He was, he was the young guy that wasn't marred by everything else. But this was a ragtag group, and they looked at them. As a matter of fact, Peter is standing before the Sanhedrin, and they look at him. They're like, we know you ain't got no education. But what did they say? They said, we know you don't have education, but there's something that tells us that you've been with Jesus. He was marked by the fact that he was with Jesus. And so Jesus uses, Holy Spirit uses God the Father. They use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's what this story is about. I, I know that that's almost Christianese a little bit, that, that he uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. But this is the story that we're in. You, you, can, you can say everything that you want and try to build it up, but at the end of the day, these brothers built a wall in 52 days around a complete city. That's a big deal. It's a real big deal. And so here we are. They're, they're, they're in the middle of this, and the enemy comes. The enemy comes. And so I, I want to talk to you just a little bit about that today. One of the first things that the enemy does is he attempts to question the purpose and identity of the people that are involved in the thing that threatens his normal. Let me read that again. That's a lot. One of the things that the enemy does is attempt to question the purpose and identity of the people who are involved in something that would threaten his normal. I want you to understand this, that the enemy has a normal that he wants to keep you confined to. You've heard me say over and over, I, I don't like normal. Like I, I get in situations sometimes where it's like too normal and I, I just want to run around the room and scream just so that it breaks up the monotony. Y'all think I'm playing. I'm serious as a heart attack. 
I get into situations, and I'm like, I, I'm, I look at Rebecca, I'm like, I, I can't take but about three more minutes of this, and then I'm, I'm just going to spontaneously combust. You understand what I mean? And so what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you confined to this idea of normal that he has for you. He's built this box, and he wants to keep you in it because he understands if he keeps you confined to this idea of normal, then you are no threat to him and his kingdom. If he keep, can, can we just be real today? If he can keep you confined to this idea of normal Sunday morning Christianity, he realizes that there is no threat to what he's really trying to accomplish. And, and so he wants to keep you in this box that he has created called normal. And the weapon that he uses most of the time, are you ready for this? This is what Sam Ballot was doing. The weapon that he uses most of the time to keep you confined is mockery. It's mockery. Story after story after story in the Bible is introduced to us with the enemy mocking the people of God. You can look at King Sennacherib, one of the most evil kings in the Bible, and the thing that he did worse than anybody was mock the children of Israel. Pharaoh mocked the children of Israel. Goliath mocked the children of Israel. And story after story after story, the enemy is mocking what the people of God are attempting to do with the help of Holy Spirit. Why does he use mockery to fight the children of Israel? It's become the tactic because he knows that one of the most difficult things for you and I to overcome is man's opinion. He uses mockery because he realizes that one of the most difficult things for us to cut ties with is man's opinion. We value it so high. And so his arsenal is filled with arrows of embarrassment and humiliation in the public eye. This leads to guilt, shame, and common condemnation. Having an elevated place of authority because we want to look right to people. Now listen, I, I know we were better off when we were talking about 52 days and God using ordinary people, but we have to address some of the stuff that keeps us from moving into the great things. Can I just be completely transparent today? I was praying, getting on uh, I-65 from the Gene Snyder one morning, and I, I was on my way to do something and, and I, was, I think I was listening to a podcast maybe. And so I turned it off and I immediately started praying because there was something that struck me. And I began thinking and meditating about Philip when he met the Ethiopian eunuch in, in the book of Acts. And, and you understand that he time traveled. He was there and then God took him and he was no longer there. He was in a total different place. And I'm reading that and I'm like, man, that's in the New Testament. I want to do that. I want to do it. I said, God, I don't want anybody to get hurt. I, I, I don't want my truck to be messed up. But, you know, I, I, I want to I do it. Let's do that because it's in the New Testament. And he and I began to have a dialogue, and it wasn't condemnation. It wasn't shame. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't any of that stuff. But he said this. He said, you don't give me enough time to do that with you. He said, you don't give me enough time to do that because you've always got something going. 
You've always got another thought. You've always got another thing you've got to get to. You've always got another meeting. You've always got this. You've always got something playing. You've always, and, and I, I really, I, if I have anything playing in the car, it's a podcast or any, I, I don't listen to things in the car most of the time. But he was telling me there are things that I want to do with you, but you don't give me the time. And I came face to face with the realization that as much as I hate normal, it's really easy for me to fall into normal. It's really easy for me to fall into normal. And, and so he, he uses these things. The enemy uses these things to mock us, to put us into this idea of shame, guilt, and condemnation. And that is not at all what God was talking to me about. He was simply saying, hey, listen, I just want more of you. Do, do you understand that? When he talks to you about those things, he's not trying to make you feel bad. Everybody in the conversation knows that you haven't been doing the right thing, right? Is that true? You know, he knows. Everybody knows. He's never bringing condemnation. He's always saying, I just want more of you. I just want some time. But we get so focused on the opinion of man and being embarrassed and being humiliated that we move into these ideas of allowing the mockery of the enemy to have an elevated place of authority in our lives. Do, do you know that um, one of the greatest detractors to real kingdom family is man's opinion? It's man's opinion. One of the greatest detractors to connection on a real level this way is man's opinion. We create scenarios in our mind about those around us and their acceptance of who we are to the point that we will not engage. That's good preaching, Pastor. That's so good. We really do. We create scenarios. Well, I would. Have you ever done that? I know you have. You go through this whole conversation in your mind. Well, I would talk to them, but then they're going to respond like this, and then if I ask then they're not going to do that, and then I'm going to be disappointed, and then we're going to move on, and it's never going to happen. And that's about how it happens. You start talking first, and then you start mumbling, get down here. And, uh, so I'm never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But then I'm going to get frustrated because I'm not connected. Right? And, and, and so one of the greatest detractors to kingdom family is man's opinion. This is something that we have to get over because it's a tactic the enemy uses to bring mockery, to bring embarrassment, to bring uh, humiliation. And so I want you to understand that's what Sanballat was doing. He was going after Nehemiah. He was going after the people of God. He was going after the work that they were doing and mocking them, saying, you're never going to do it. It's too great a task. You're never going to be able to, to measure up. You're never going to get that done. And so what, what I want you to understand is he's mocking them in order to frustrate their purpose. And so he's shooting off at the mouth. You're not this. You're not that. What do you think you are? Questioning identity. Who do you think you are? How do you think you're going to build this? If a fox walked on top, that's not even a good joke. Seriously? If a fox walked on top of it, it would break. That's a terrible joke. If he was today, I would tell him, that's a horrible joke. You have to come better than that. But that's what he says. Hey, if a fox walked on top of the wall, it would fall over. And so all this stuff, shooting off at the mouth, mocking, trying to frustrate their purpose. And we find later, I'll talk about it in a minute, trying to confuse them and, and, and make them question. And all of these things are happening, and mockery is what he uses. But guess what? 
the flip side of a bully who's just shooting off at the mouth usually indicates that he has no ability to do anything to stop you from what you're doing. Y'all, y'all, y'all missed a really good time right there because some of y'all get your brains beat in with the enemy. It, listen, if you're doing anything, the enemy's coming and he's talking in your ear. He's talking, and he, he's going after it, but just over and over and over and over and over, and he's saying something. But I want to tell you today that he understands his place better than we understand his place. He just likes to talk about it more than we do. And so the flip side of a bully running off at the mouth usually indicates that he's not about anything, and he doesn't have any ability to really stop what you're doing. Have you ever had to do that? You remember when you were a kid, did you ever have to confront a bully? Yes, no, Maybe. You know, we've made it this whole big deal now. Everybody gets bullied and all this other stuff. And, and you know, I got, I got ideas about that too, but I'm not going to go there. But anyway, I had to confront some bullies every once in a while. And most of the time, man, they were good at shooting off at the mouth. But when it came serious time, listen, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to do that. So, so uh, I, I've always been a bigger guy. I have. Uh, when I was in the best shape of my life, I mean, my arms were solid as a rock, but I still had, uh, you know, uh, some, some baby fat. I'm still called, I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I still got some baby fat. <laughs> you, you know, us big boys, we had, to, we had to go through stages, right? It was baby fat. Then it was husky. <laughs> Then it was big bonded, you we, we just because we never really wanted to come to terms with what we really were. Anyway, anyway, so so I've always been that way, but I've always been somewhat athletic in my mind. The older I get, the more athletic I was, and you know, the, the more stories I have to tell my kids, the more athletic I was, right? <laughs> but seriously, so one of the things that I could do really, really well was shoot a basketball. And, and, I mean, I just, it was just something, I, I practiced hundreds and thousands upon thousands of shots. And so I could shoot basketball. I couldn't play defense for nothing. Seriously. I mean, you, if you wanted to drive, you were going to, but you were not going to stop me from scoring. And most of the time I was going to shoot a three and you're shooting twos. And so eventually I was going to win. And so there were, I can't tell you how many people, they would just, blah, 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 blah. You can't play. You can't do this. I'd be like, okay, here we go. And we would go to the basketball court and, <clears throat> well, anyway, most of the time, it had to be worth my while for me to go play them, if you know what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that any other way, but it, it had to be worth it. it. It had to be worth my while if we were going to play and I was going to beat you. And so, uh, and, 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 but then they would get out there, and inevitably, every time this would happen, every time, you know, ah, I'm going to kill you, can't do that. Nah, nah. Okay, and we get out there. And they get beat, and they're like, man, I, I, I didn't know you could play like that. I, I didn't know you could shoot. I didn't know this, this, that, and the other. All the time, because why? Because all they were doing was running off at the mouth. And what the enemy does is he comes to you, and he just runs at the mouth. You're not going to do this. You're not going to do that. You, you're, you're too much of this. You're too much of that. You have too little of this. You have too little of that. And we start listening to that mess. And sometimes what we need to do is we just need to invite him to the court and say, hey, listen, let's just make this worth my while. 
right now. And let me show you that what you're saying about me and what you're saying to me and my family has no ability to affect me. And even if the wall's only built halfway, I'm going to stand up here and we're going to fight you and we're still going to work and make it happen because we're not listening to what you're saying any longer. Bullies just shoot off at the mouth, and sometimes you have to put them in their place. Is that all right? I want to give you permission to put the enemy in his place. I want to give you permission to put the enemy in his place when he comes and tries to twist things that have been said, when he comes and tries to turn things that have been said. I want you to put him in his place and understand that he is defeated. I'm going to talk about that, I think. Here we go. The next tactic that the enemy uses is to attempt to bring confusion. If you look at verse 8, it said that they were to bringing confusion. What does confusion look like? Most of the time it sounds like this. Why are we doing this? I thought you said blah, blah, blah. I didn't know there would be this much risk. I thought we were protected. What happens is we start agreeing with the enemy. We start agreeing. Do you understand that the only way the enemy gets a foothold is if you start agreeing with him? And do you also understand that if he's talking, he's speaking his native language, which the Bible says is lie. His native language is lie. But we find ourselves agreeing with him, and when this starts happening, we have to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. You ever had a come-to-Jesus meeting in your family? Have you ever had those? Where something's just going on, going on, you're like, no, 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 no. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting right now because we're going to stop this right here. Have you ever had those? Anybody ever had those? If you have not, I encourage you this week, have a come to Jesus meeting because I guarantee there's some stuff going on that doesn't need to be happening. And when you do that and you allow Jesus into it, you begin to get different perspective. Watch this. Nehemiah calls a meeting and he says three things that are profound and I'm going to let you go. Three things. The first thing he says do not be afraid of the enemy. Do not be afraid of the enemy. This is fundamental to the success of the purpose God is working in and through you. Fear of a defeated enemy is a clear sign of confusion or not thinking clearly. I want you to listen to that. Fear of a defeated enemy is a clear sign of confusion or not thinking clearly. How can you say that? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I rem that's been my favorite scripture since I was probably eight years old. And I've used that and I love it. But it wasn't until just a few years ago that I really caught that power, love, and a sound mind. In other words, if I'm operating in fear, I'm not thinking clearly. I do not have sound mind. And he did not give that to me. And so what Nehemiah realizes, and he tells the people, do not be afraid of the enemy. We have the word of the Lord on this. Do not be afraid of the enemy because a defeated enemy, if you're afraid of that, that is not clear thinking. Does that make sense? It's, it's why I get so frustrated every time I read the story of the spies going in to check out the land because they were instructed, go check out the land that the Lord has given you. And only two of them come back and said, okay, yeah, let's go. The other ten go in because they have an incorrect perception and say we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. You missed it. It doesn't matter what you look like. The Lord has given it to you. Are, are you with me? So don't be afraid of the enemy. Why? 
Number two, the second thing Nehemiah says, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. You have to know who God is and what he is doing for you and in you. It is also imperative to know that it's the Lord that's fighting for you. It's the Lord that's fighting for you. They're having to build a wall. We have to build family. We have to do all of these things. I want you to look at this scripture, Psalm 127.1. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well take a nap. That's the message translation. I love that. You know the, you know the verse. If God doesn't build the house, those who build it, build it in vain. Right? This word there for house, it's, it's the, the Hebrew word bayith, B-A-Y-I-T-H. And it can mean a building or a house or a place of worship, but it is also used for the word family or household. And so one of the things that, that, that I want us to understand as we move forward in this transition, as we move forward in learning what kingdom family is about, as we move forward into these ideas that we realize that God is the one who is building the house. That's why it's okay for us to say, you know what, we don't know what we're doing. And, and that may make some people nervous, but it's a great place as a, from, as a leader to say, I, I have no idea what we're doing, but we're leading, we're, we're living by the leading of Holy Spirit, and we're waiting for the cloud, and we're waiting for the pillar of fire, and when it's moving, that's what we're doing. We must believe that God is working for us. We must also be uh, convinced that God is building a kingdom family that is from generation to generation. This is where we learn that God is placing me in a family where the common denominator is the man, Christ Jesus. When we talk about kingdom family, when we talk about building these things, the only thing that's in common is the man, Jesus. It's the man, Jesus. It's not that we just like things. It's not that we have things in common. It's that we have a common pursuit, that, that God is building a family that is after Jesus, not the shallow things that appease the flesh that make us want to connect. I really want us to get that, 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 that there's nothing wrong with, with having common interests. I love it. I, I love to hunt, and so I love talking hunting when people want to talk. I love having a common interest but I'm not going to act like that is the depth of the connection that I have with kingdom family because we have something in common that pleases our flesh or we enjoy. No, it's a common pursuit after the man, Christ Jesus. And Nehemiah stands up and he looks at these people and he says, don't be afraid of the enemy and remember the Lord. That's why we're here. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Remember him. He's building, God is building the house. It's the Lord who's great and glorious. And, and, and man, I say this all the time, but we can't be good enough to make it happen. Nehemiah was not a carpenter. He was a cupbearer. His hands probably were not tough or rough at all. He was opening wine and pouring it for the king in the palace. But God said, hey, I can use that. I can use that because he's tended to the king well. Number three, fight for your family. Fight for your family. I want to ask you a question today. 
Are you really willing to fight for your family? Not, not just your blood family, but your kingdom family. Are you willing to do that? See, I understand that some people reject the idea of kingdom family because they look at their family who is jacked up, and they say, I don't want any part of that. I have to love them because we're blood, but I'm not going to jump into something else that even remotely looks like that. Here's what I want to say. We all have somebody in our family that's jacked up, right? We all got that one uncle or that one aunt that you don't want to introduce to people. Tell truth. Shame the devil. Tell truth. You know you do. Uncle Jojo or Bootsy, whatever you call them. <laughs> you got somebody. And you're like, uh, yeah, this is my aunt. And then you move on. You know, you know. We do. But we have grace. We have grace for that, right? We have grace for that because it's, it's, it's blood. We don't have any kind of grace sometimes for people in the kingdom family, and we don't want to connect because we don't have a real understanding of what real family could actually look like. What would happen if we were willing to fight for connection to kingdom family? See, remember I told you, we, we don't know how to do this. We're learning in so many ways. Do you think Nehemiah knew how to rally all those people and build a wall? My guess is Nehemiah went to the carpenters and said, hey, listen, this is what I'm really good at. Can you go help me build this wall? I'll give you something to drink. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord gave him the ability to do it, gave him wisdom, gave him strategy, but he had to apply himself in that area. And what I want to say to us is, is we have to, as God is building this, we have to be willing to fight for connection based on Jesus, not based on how we feel. Is that Okay. We have to be willing to fight so that we establish something that really can go from generation to generation that is built on Jesus being the chief cornerstone. So, so, so let, me, let me just do this one more time. The first thing that happens, you have to not be afraid of the enemy. Don't be afraid of that joker. He just shoots off at the mouth. Here, here, here's how you know you've moved into maturity. When you can look at the situation and understand, hey, yep, that's going on, and that's pretty bad. However, I trust the Lord, and I know that he's taking care of me, just like the three Hebrew boys did. Even if he doesn't save us from the fire, we're still not going to bow down. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Number two, Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Remember the moments that he's brought you out. Remember what he has put you into and what he has put on the inside of you. And then number three, fight for your family. God is building something here that is not like anything you've ever been a part of. He's 
building something. He's making connections, and we're learning to walk this out. But I'm telling you, there are people that I am connected to because of Jesus that are closer to me than my blood family. That's the honest truth. That is the honest truth. There are people that I am closer to because of my connection to Jesus than I am to my blood family. And I believe that what God is doing is establishing a family in this place that will be from generation to generation that will be a sign for this city, hey, this is what's available. This is what's available. We are not going to win the city by inviting them to our programs, inviting them to our entertainment-filled Sundays. They're not coming for that, but they are coming for a connection that looks different than what they have in the world. Relational prophetic evangelism, I'm telling you, it's the key to winning the city. Relational prophetic evangelism. I I wanted to go into this. I'm just going to give you a snippet of what I'm going to talk about next week. Here's what you have to understand about the building of the wall. Why are they rebuilding the wall, and what does it represent? It represents prayer, intercessory prayer. Let me show you this, and then we'll, we'll expound on it next week. Ezekiel chapter number 22, verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. It's talking about standing in the place of intercession and rebuilding the walls of prayer and intercession. And I'm going to tell you that one of the things that we are going to do at Awakening, and we've already been trying to do this since the inception, is we are going to value the gift of the intercessor. We are going to value the gift of the intercessor, and we are going to build a structure that is secure enough for them to stand on as watchmen over this city. And we're going to get into that more in the coming weeks. Um, Thank you so much for coming. Let's stand. They're going to put on some music. I know we've got, uh, I'm going to ask some of the ministry team to come up. If you're here today, and you want prayer, or you don't understand anything that we talked about in Kingdom Family, and you want to come talk and pray through that, our team wants to help you today. We invite you to come down and let them minister to you. Uh, Don't forget we have prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Next week we have service, um, Sunday morning again. Keep, Keep your eyes peeled for your email. I sent one out this week for those who weren't here last week just to explain some of what's going on with our transition. We're excited about that. We're continually working on that. And when we have information, you will have information, okay? God bless you. We love you. Listen, God's building something here in the form of family, and it's like nothing you've ever been a part of. I'm telling you, he, he's, he's, he's bringing us together. He's bringing us together for such a time as this, and he's already began moving on, 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 on some of you. I mean, man, I've already had meetings with, with, with some. I had an amazing meeting the other day with Kang and Rayanne, and, and just the heart of the people that are here to see what God wants to do in this city. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And I'm telling you that he is bringing it together. And when he does that, we don't have to strive for it because he's building the house. He's building the family. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray. And then if you'd like prayer, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today for your people. We thank you for your power. 
for your demonstration, your goodness, your word. God, we just ask that you would give us grace, that you would give us strength in this building phase. God, as you're building things in us and through us, as you're teaching us about what family looks like, as you're teaching us how to fight, as you're teaching us how to to have our weapon in one hand and you're teaching us how to work with the other and God giving us revelation that it doesn't look like it used to in warfare. God, we just thank you for that and we just ask that you would would open the, the, the eyes of our heart and our ears and our understanding this week, God. I pray for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who you are for every person here. As we study Nehemiah, as we go into those, those moments and those times. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us at 1725 Research Drive in Louisville, Kentucky, or online at awakeningky.com.